So a, a couple of things are going on. A um, couple of, yeah, quick announcements. Um, one, uh, there are a couple of worship opportunities that I would like to make you uh, aware. Uh, one is the invitation service. The invitation service has been meeting for years at 6.30 on Wednesday nights in the Garden Chapel. That's the chapel over there on Bassey with all the glass and um, and they've been uh, going along for uh, quite a while doing um, just wonderful stuff through healing prayer. Uh, they always have communion every night. John and August uh, lead the worship over there. Uh, this coming Wednesday, they're going to be celebrating with Christmas carols and uh, just a traditional Christmas type service. But it is also the last invitation service. Um, the time of their ministry is coming to an end. And so I would encourage you, if you've ever been before, that this would be a good time to return. If you have not be a good time to show up. Um, Christmas carols are fun. Who doesn't like a good carol, right? Uh, so I would encourage you to, to go check that out 630 on Wednesday in the Garden Chapel. Um, and then uh, when that worship service is, is ending, we have another one that is beginning. If you're on the city, you have seen my uh, post about this. If you're not on the city, get on it. Um, the, on starting January 4th, and then subsequently every first Friday after that, we are going to have a worship experience here uh, in the CLC called The Lab. Um, not to be confused with the former brewery right down the street. Um, this is going to be a worship experience called The Lab. And we're going to do it the first Friday of every month, starting at 7 o'clock and ending at 9-ish. Uh, there will be child care available. This is, uh, if you've ever come to the end of a time of worship and you wanted it to keep going, um, this is, is one of those reasons why we have started it. We've also started it because as Daryl has been, as Daryl and August were doing their things, their little breakdown prayer things during those last two songs, all of which were great and wonderful and very powerful, I kept going, you're giving me little time. Stop talking and stop singing. Be quiet. Sit down so I can get up and preach. I was very nervous about the time. I still am. And yet, um, you know, I'm still talking here. So uh, it's one of those expressions that it's going to end at nine, unless God says otherwise. It may end sooner. It may end later. Um, but we have uh, child care available. We are going to do things. It's going to be the core of this worship team that will be leading worship. I will be doing the, uh, the teaching um, starting out, uh, but then we hope to get other people um, involved. We also want to um, dust off some liturgical practices of old. Uh, and, and to bring them back and, and to re-energize the way in which they help us to connect with God. And we also want to explore some different things that we've never done. This first um, Friday, for example, we're going to have butcher paper all along the Holy Spirit free zone uh, in the back there and Crayolas. And so you can reconnect with um, your childhood artist and, and maybe just experience worship through um, Crayolas. Uh, and coloring. Um, and so we, it's really kind of, we're calling it a worship experience experiment type deal because that's what we plan on doing. Um, if you have questions about it, please come and see me after the service. Also, Christmas Eve is coming. Our service in here is always at 6.30 on the 24th. I thought I was just kidding. Um, yeah, Christmas Eve is the 24th this year. Again, it's very consistent that way. Uh, and we will be 6.30 in here in uh, the CLC uh, not to be confused with the five o'clock madhouse down the hall in the sanctuary, which is the kids service. Um, so if you're coming, either don't come early, um, come really early to miss the traffic of the five o'clock or come just right at, uh, you know, around 630 when they've all left the building. Uh, so 630 is our service. We have a ton of other services on Christmas Eve. We have a two o'clock, a five o'clock, 630, a seven o'clock, a nine o'clock and 11 o'clock. Um, so if you want some service on Christmas Eve, 
we got you covered, is what I'm saying. So there you go. Now, we are in Luke chapter 3, and we are preparing for the coming of the king. Advent, the preparation for God's arrival on this earth, but also the preparation for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Um, anybody ever heard of Josh Bell? Anybody familiar with who Joshua Bell is, if you call him Joshua? Yeah. Um, Josh Bell is one of the premier violinists in the world. Um, he is an American. Uh, from the reports that I have read, he's devastatingly good-looking, um, which you don't really think violinist and really good-looking dude um, altogether, but apparently he is. Uh, he owns one of the most expensive violins in the world. It's a $3.5 million Stradivarius that was made in the 1710s. Um, and he is world-renowned for his ability to play that instrument. He is invited all over the world to play. He gets paid a lot of money to play. People pay a lot of money to go see him. Except for one morning, one September morning. Uh, the Washington Post and Joshua Bell had this idea. And this is what happened.
So here in a, ru- a morning rush hour, it's seven something in the morning at one of the D.C. metro stops in which um, people come and go, thousands of people on their way to bureaucratic jobs. It's a, it's a neighborhood that's uh, kind of uh, upscale. It's uh, a lot of mid-level uh, bureaucrats that come through this station. It, it, on this one morning, Joshua Bell shows up with this little Camry as a black baseball hat, and he lives three blocks from there, and they said that he took a taxi over because of this precious instrument. He takes very good care, as he should, of his $3.5 million Stradivarius. And he goes in, and he opens with one of the most technically difficult violin pieces to play. And then he stays there for 45 minutes and plays. He earns just under $40 thrown into his Stradivarius case. Over a thousand people rush by him that morning, not understanding the brilliance and the beauty that is existing. Except for that one lady at the end, right? Once she stops, other people start standing around. But I, I love when she comes in with her little plastic grocery bag lunch, I'm sure, and she just stops and she doesn't move. All these people floating around her, and just, they move really fast in D.C., but um, just... And she's just standing there and listening to him because she knows what's there. How often have we missed Joshua Bell? How often have we been so consumed with our world, our life, the things that we have to do, that we miss the beauty and the brilliance that God lays before us? During the season of Advent, we talked about last week that we are so sped up by the season. There's so much going on that we rush here and there. How often during this season do we miss the beauty and the brilliance? How often do we miss the movement of God? There's a picture that hangs in um, my parents' house. They've lived all over the country And one of the places they used to live was right outside of Detroit, Michigan. And they love art, and so they've picked up pieces of art wherever they have lived. And this is one of the pieces that they have um, purchased over the years. This, if you, if you can look at this picture, what it shows is this artist sitting in this, like, just trashed out, um, lot with a a car that is, is either burning or, um, the tires are gone. These buildings that just look like they're ravished and, um, you know, maybe it's right after the, the race riots in the 1960s or, or really when we lived there, it didn't look much different. So it could have been at any time that this, peen- this painting was, um, was, was painted. Um, but I think that the, the brilliance of this painting and the beauty of it is that the artist sees what isn't there but what could be or maybe what should be. He sees beyond the turmoil of the world and sees the beauty. I think that in our lives, we forget to do that. We forget to prepare ourselves to see the beauty and the brilliance of God. We forget to take time to be with him. In Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, It was now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler of Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis. Licinius was ruler over Abilene. I love that. It's all these little towns and then a panhandle town. Um, 
Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests at this time. A message of God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living out in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching the people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. It was Isaiah chapter 40 that Luke is quoting here. And, and what it says is, in the wilderness, prepare a path for the Lord. In the wilderness, get ready for God's arrival. The Essenes, the group of Jews who segregated themselves from the rest of society in order to do this, heard this message literally, and they moved to the wilderness. They moved to Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were later found, but they moved to this place to prepare their hearts and their lives for the coming of the Messiah. Incidentally, the place where Jesus is baptized by John can be seen from Qumran. When you're in Qumran, you can look down to the Jordan River right down below you. And the place that they believe he was baptized is right there. Now, there's this thing called the Meyer scale. And the Meyer scale is this archaeological um, scale that, that they use in order to say whether or not an event actually happened at a location. And they take into account all these different things, um, writings, documentation from multiple sources, archaeological evidence that is discovered, many different things. It goes from zero to ten. On a scale of zero to ten in the Meyer scale, the place where they believe that Jesus was baptized, it can be seen from Qumran, is a nine. These scientists, these archaeologists, these really smart people who can speak, believe that this is the place. Here's another interesting fact. It is believed that the place where Joshua led the people Israel into the promised land is right here too. So God is bringing all of this stuff together at this spot in the Jordan River. When God does something like this, it's for you to go, huh, maybe I should pay attention. When God does something over and over again, it's as if you're in class and your teacher says something three, four times. It's probably going to be on the test, right? When God is pointing something so amazing out, going, watch this, years later, this is going to happen. Jesus, my son, is going to be at the place where I brought the people into the promised land. Awesome. And what is the message that's being delivered here? Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. What is, what is the message that John the Baptist preaches? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, the Greek word that's used there, is one that means to turn away from to something else. It means to, to turn away from whatever is distracting you from God and turn to God. To remove those things that, that are taking you away from His will and to fill yourself with Him. Repent. Turn to Him. Now, what John was talking about, and this is just this brilliant observation that Daryl had, is, you know, John the Baptist, his dad was Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. 
He was part of the religious institution. John the Baptist, not so much, right? He leaves that and he goes into the wilderness. He dresses in these horrible clothes. As August said earlier this morning, he was a dude who needed a bath. Um, He ate all kinds of weird things. He was out in the wilderness preparing the way. And what he was saying is return from these religious restrictions who have taken your eyes off of a relationship with God and turn to God. Now, what I think it screams to us today is not to, re- to turn from the religious institutions of the world, although there is something to be said for that. But what I think it says is what is distracting us the greatest from a relationship with him? What is taking us away? What is causing us to lose sight of Joshua Bell in the subway station? A lot of times it's the spinning of this world. It's the things that we have to do. It's our jobs. It's, it's, the thing, it's the materialism. It's all of this stuff that we have placed in our lives that take us away from him. Repent. Turn away from those things and turn towards God. The reason that most of this stuff happens in the wilderness a lot of times is because when you're in the wilderness, you have nothing to do but to focus on God. When everything of the world is gone... When you can no longer connect, when you're driving through West Texas and all of a sudden you look at your phone and AT&T goes, I don't know. (laughs) And the radio station just goes (laughs) like that. When you're in those places, the only thing you can do is to focus on God. So the question is, how often do we do that? I'm not saying that you all need to hop on I-10 and speed on out to West Texas and then start driving 105 because you can. But maybe right here where you are, prepare yourselves for the coming of the King. Turn away from the things that seek to distract you. The thousands of people walking by you in the subway station to prevent you from seeing the beauty that's coming forth from this Joshua Bell character. To to stop and to look out at the devastated landscape and to not see what the world sees, but to see what God sees. During this Christmas season, this Advent season, when we're preparing for the coming of the King, prepare for the coming of the King. Take time with your family, with yourself, however. But take some time in the wilderness. And remember that he is coming. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you came. That you gave up your position in heaven so that you could walk among us. God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the promise that says you will come again. You will come again. And so, God, in the meantime, help us to prepare ourselves for that promise. Help us to prepare ourselves to focus on you, the coming of the King, the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Help us to understand that The kingdom of heaven isn't just something that comes at the end of times, but it is something that comes now. Help us to grasp hold of that, God. Help us to turn aside from those things that seek to distract us from your face, from your voice. Help us to repent. 
and turn to you. Thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.